The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles, Romans chapter 14, and let's look beginning at verse number 7. Here Paul states, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are not. We, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ had died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to pay careful attention to that. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray that uh, this study of, of your word would be beneficial to us and would help us in our daily life and, and would strengthen us in our walk for you. Bless this time we have now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so far in our study, we've looked at a lot of different things. Now, for the next several lessons, about 12 to be exact, uh, we're going to take a look at the judgment of the saints. We've been, we've been talking about the Christian life. We've looked at our call, the callings that we've gotten from the Lord. We, looked at, we, we took a look at doctrine and studied all the many facets of doctrine. We've talked about the benefits of doctrine in our life. Now I'd like to look at another aspect of our lives, which is the judgment that we will face. We read just a moment ago, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. Each one of us individually. And when we're there, we're not going to be there to talk about uh, what someone else did. We're going to be there to give an account, an accounting of our own lives as God's children. So it's very important as, as God's children that we understand that. And that we prepare for that. Paul began his exposition here by reminding us that we're not alone. And there's an old saying, no man exists unto himself. No man is an island unto himself. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we see... Even back from the beginning of creation, the very, the very first two people on earth, uh, Eve's actions affected Adam, didn't they? Yeah, she, she ate from the tree, and she, she shouldn't have, but she did, and then, and then she gave it to Adam, and he followed suit. So her actions influenced and affected Adam's actions. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, we read, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And it must be noted here that the care and concern of our brothers and sisters in Christ is the duty of every believer. Now, each of us, of course, we, we, we are accountable for our own actions. But at the same time, each of us is to look at the needs and, the con- and concern ourselves with our brethren. Not, being, not to be nosy or, or to stick our nose in their business, but to be watchful brothers and sisters. To be aware of the needs around us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, this is not to say that we have the right or the responsibility or the authority to judge each other. Um, And we read it a moment ago in chapter chapter 14, verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. So we're not to judge, we're not to be judged over anyone else. Um, the only person I'm to judge is who? Myself. I'm to judge myself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, Paul says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, if, if, I, if I looked after my own self, and made sure that I'm right with God, then no one else would have occasion to judge me. And, and, and so we need to remember that. Um, now back to our text verse for a moment. Paul stated, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now these accountings before God is what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment is strictly for those that are redeemed. The unsaved people will not go through this judgment. In fact, while this judgment is occurring, what's going on on earth? Anyone know? Say it out. The tribulation, that's right. Uh, While we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the tribulation is taking place. Some people have told me, oh, that's good. It's only going to last seven years. No, no, you don't understand. There's no time in heaven. You see, God has all the time he wants to, to judge us Uh, for the judgment seat of Christ. The seven years that occur on earth has no bearing on what occurs in heaven. Remember, the scriptures say that a thousand years is as a day unto the Lord. So he has lots of time to to analyze each of our lives, all the millions of people, possibly billions of people who will be saved. He has time to judge all of those lives while the tribulation is occurring here on earth. So uh, you're not going to escape... you know, maybe you say, well, if my last name starts with Z, maybe I'll get, get, get passed. You know, no, it's not going to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, every one of us will give account. And the judgment is for those that are redeemed. It is not for the purpose of punishment. You know, I hear people all the time say, oh, well, God's punishing him. What? Where'd you get your theology? Where was, where was my punishment administered? On the cross. That's right. God doesn't punish us. Now, let me explain to you what he might do. I, I, I hear people, oh, he got a flat tire. Oh, well, God punished him. No, no. You know what God does when we're disobedient, when we're not what we should be? What does he do? He removes his hands of blessing. And all those bad things that happen to us on a daily basis, 
that his hand prevented, he no longer prevents. He just lets, us, he just lets things happen. He doesn't punish us, but he does withhold, withhold his blessing. So don't get in your mind that God is running around like a, like a, a, a disciplinarian waiting to spank his children, waiting to punish his children. That's not at all what happens. So the purpose in the judgment seat of Christ is not for punishment. It's not to embarrass us. It's not to, it's not to abase us. It's for the purpose of rewards. God is going to give each person rewards for the things he did well, and he'll suffer loss for the things he did poorly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So now we've established that we are not alone. We've established that what I do affects you, what you do affects me, and it may influence us. It certainly affects us in the the matter of a, a collective testimony as a church and all of these kinds of things. So we've established that we're not alone and, and, and that we, uh, all that we do can and will influence those around us. And since we've established that there will be a judgment of the saints to determine rewards, how should we live? How should we live in light of the coming judgment of the saints? Now, I have found that there are 12 areas of our life that Scripture reveals will be tested. I'm sure there Maybe more, but I found at least 12 in Scripture, 12 areas of our life that will be tested. And, and I want to examine each of those. And we'll begin today with the first one. Um, so, number one today, we will be judged by how we control the old man. By how we control the old nature. How many of you have ever uh, taken a test in school? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, we all did. How many of you studied for that test? Yeah, you wanted to make sure you knew what you needed to know before you went for that test, right? I mean, you don't want to walk into a test uh, not having studied anything and, and not know anything at all. Well, when we talk about going before the judgment of Christ, aren't you a little concerned about what you need to prepare for? Aren't you maybe a little bit interested in knowing what is Jesus going to look at? And, and how am I going to be judged? So that's what I want to do. I want to take a look at these 12 areas that Scripture identifies that will be judged by Christ. And the first one is how we control the old man. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would, just turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's the very next book in the Bible from where we were. And let's look at beginning in verse number 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. We read here, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, 
not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says that, he reminds us that all of us are born with a sinful nature. We're all the same. We're all the same. You and I <laughs> were born with a sinful nature. Uh, this we inherited from Adam. And it is with us throughout this life. Before our redemption, we had no control over our sinful nature. Try as we may, we might be successful for short periods of time. But try as we might, we could not control our sinful desires. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us of this. He writes, wherein in time past, he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. So he reminds us that all of us at one point lived under the flesh and, and we had no control over that flesh. We, we might think we did, but we didn't. But now we are what? New creatures. Now we no longer are under the control of the flesh. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, he writes, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Who's him? Christ. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Then in verse 14, he tells us, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now, this is something that the devil truly doesn't want you to understand. This is something that he really doesn't want you to grasp, and that is that your sinful flesh no longer has control. That you now have the authority and the power to say no. And you do not have to succumb to the flesh because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And who is in you? The Holy Spirit is in you, is he not? The very, very essence of God is in you. He dwells in you. He walks with you. He, he, he urges you. He he convicts you. He is in you. And greater is he than that which is in the world. So when you have a desire to do wrong, what do you do? You just say no. You just don't do it. Now you, can, you have the power to do that. Now again, the devil doesn't want you to know that because he doesn't want you to start trying that. But I guarantee you this, if you try it, you'll find out it's true. That you don't have to give in to the flesh anymore. That you don't have to sin. But we all sin, don't we? Why? Because we want to. Not because we have to. We want to. And we need to learn that we have the power over that. Um, 
in First in Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Paul, Paul was disciplined in, 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 every, in every day of his life of getting his control of his flesh and saying, no, you're not going to control me. You're not going to make me do things that dishonor Christ. You're not going to make me do things that, that ruin my testimony. Now, do not make the mistake of thinking that redemption takes away the flesh. Because it doesn't take away the flesh. You've got the same flesh that you, were, that you had when you were saved, and you will have it until you depart this life. Salvation, redemption did not remove the flesh, but what did it do? It removed the power of the flesh. And the power was transferred to the Spirit of God. And you now have the ability to overcome sin. Remember, the flesh is alive and well in your life today. And as a vicious war is taking place within your heart right now. Galatians chapter 5 tells us, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Now here, here is where free will plays into our lives. Here is where free will comes in. We have a free will to, to, to submit to either the flesh or the spirit. We, our free will is, is powerless in salvation. It is the will of the Father. Now we exhibit our will by, by receiving the gift of the Father. But our true, truly, if we want to talk about free will, here's where it comes in. You have the free will to submit your life and live in the Spirit. Or you have the free will to, to succumb to and live in the flesh. It's your choice. This is essential in our Christian walk. That, that we express our free will and follow the Savior. Now follow me carefully in this. I have a few bullet points on your sheet. First one is this. The flesh is ever with us. The flesh is ever with us. Romans chapter 7 verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would, would not that I do. And what's Paul saying? Uh, this flesh is always here. It's ever with me. Um, these are the same eyes that I had before I got saved. The same hands. The same feet. This is the same tongue. The same mind I had before I was saved. And the flesh still wants to do the same things it used to do. I've known people that were saved, claimed to be saved for 20 years. And backslide. And where did they go? When they backslide, where do they go? Anyone know? Right back to what they were doing before they got saved. Right back. Why? Because that's the same old flesh. It's the same mind. It's the same heart. It's the same tongue. It's the same will. And once it gets control of you, it'll take you right back where it had you before. So the flesh is ever with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, when this corruptible 
shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immorality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh yes, I'm going to struggle with this flesh until when? Until the Lord brings me to heaven. Either I pass through the grave or I'm caught up in the rapture. Either way, this corruptible flesh <coughs> will become incorruptible at that time. And only then will I be free from the temptations and the allurements of the flesh. Until that day, I will have to deal with this flesh. And it's, it's, it's merciless. If you take a day off, it'll ravage you. Every day you have to be disciplined. And as Paul said, he, he buffeted his body daily. So the flesh is ever with us. But then secondly, we need to remember the spirit is ever with us. Oh yes, that's the good news. If we're born again, the spirit of God dwells within us and will remain there throughout eternity. In John chapter 14, we read, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The spirit is ever with us. The flesh is ever with us. The flesh is with us, not forever. The flesh is with us until the rapture of the church. But the Spirit will never leave us. It's with us forever. Take joy in that. You know, you know no matter what happens to you in this life, you're a child of God. The Spirit dwells within you. You will walk the streets of gold. You will, you will be in the presence of, the, of God for all eternity. So what does it matter if we do a little suffering in this life? What does it matter if we face disappointments and, and heartaches? They're nothing to be compared. Paul said none of that is to be compared to the glory that we shall share with Christ Jesus our Lord. The spirit is everywhere. The flesh is here, yeah. The flesh is going to be with you until, until the rapture. And you have to deal with it every day. And you have to control it every day. But good news is the spirit is there too. And the Spirit will always be there to strengthen you, to encourage you, to convict you. Then thirdly, I want us to understand, you choose whom you will obey. You choose. God doesn't choose for you. You choose who you will obey. Now, God has made it possible for you to follow the Spirit. God is, has given you his power he's given you he's given you control over the flesh he's given you power over the flesh he's given you a spirit and he's enabled you and he's given you everything you need to conquer your flesh problem is some people don't want to conquer their flesh problem is some people want to do the things they do and that's where people fail and that's why people fail not because they can't do it but because they don't want to do it. It's the lot that we face. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, 
servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But then he says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. We were servants to sin because we could do nothing but submit to it. We had no power to overcome it. But thanks be to God, we have been given the power to overcome it. And now we need to exercise our desire to obey and choose to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. God has granted that you and I should control the flesh. The flesh does not control us. If we yield to the flesh, then we live in defeat. But if we yield to the spirit, we live in victory. And this we do by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand. Yes, I did say God has given us the power to overcome, but we still can't do it without, without his grace. Without God's grace and without his, without his mercy, without his blessings. We, we, we can't live. We can't resist the flesh. So even though God has already empowered us with his spirit and given us the, the power to do so, we, we must choose, we must submit to him in order that that power will be exercised. So what do we do? What do we do to control the flesh? Uh, let me just share three thoughts with you and we'll be done. How do we control this flesh? First of all, letter A, forsake. Just write down the word forsake. James chapter 4 and verse 7 states, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, listen to me carefully. I preached a message some time back and I said that the the, the biggest enemy you have As believers, the biggest enemy you have is not the devil. He's he's a formidable enemy. And I I don't dare stand up here and say that I could could take on the devil toe-to-toe and and beat him. He's powerful. And he is vicious. But he's powerless against me. If I forsake him. The only thing the devil can do is lure me, into, lure me into his trap. But I'm the one that has to step into that trap. So what do we do? Well, to control this flesh, we forsake it. We don't yield ourselves to it. The only thing the devil can do is tempt you. Only you can give in to that temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but sat such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above the ear able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Can anyone tell me what that way to escape is? You mean you don't know the escape hatch? Yes. The Holy Spirit is our escape. 
You ever go on an airplane and the stewardess shows you the exits? I always pay attention to that. She says there are exits here, here, and here. Where are you, be a little more specific. Here, here, and here can be anywhere. I want to know how to get out of this plane if I have to. When I was in the Air Force, it was easy. The whole back end just opened up and we jumped out. We didn't actually jump out. We were pulled out. None of us wanted to jump. A few crazies, and they were always in the front of the line going, ah! The rest of us were in the back going, no! Yeah, the Holy Spirit is our escape. God, God never tempts us beyond what we are able because God is able to overcome anything. People, people walk blindly, by the way, into things like this. Saying, God's never going to allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, so I'm going. Yeah, but the thing is, your escape isn't in your own flesh. It's his Holy Spirit. And if you walk up to the devil like that, you're going you're gonna to walk away with a bloody nose. You see, my, my means of escape, God never tempts me beyond what I'm able to withstand because it is he that dwells within me and he can overcome anything. And when I, when I yield to him and when I submit to him and forsake the devil and forsake the flesh, I'm, I'm victorious. I overcome. By faith. What, how do we overcome the world? By faith. And our faith in the Holy Spirit. And our faith in the Father. And our faith in, in, this, in, in, in walking in the Spirit. And resisting the, the devil. And forsaking the flesh. Gives us the victory. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. When I'm going through some of the darkest moments in my life, I remember this. God says, I don't seek to consume you. I seek to purify you. And this too shall pass. There's many scriptures come into my mind. And I understand and realize that God's will is always done. And if, God's, if it's God's will that I go through this, then it's God's will that I come through this, if not in this life, in glory in heaven. What did the, what did the three Hebrew children say to Nebuchadnezzar when he threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace? They said that our God shall deliver us this day. Now, whether it's by preventing the fire from hurting us or whether it's by consuming us and taking us into his glory. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are not going to control me past this day. And that's the attitude we have to have when we're in this life and when we're facing temptation and when we're facing difficulty. We have to stand boldly and say, this is the will of the Father. I trust in him I will not succumb to sin. I will walk in righteousness. Just forsake. Then secondly, forbid. Forbid. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world. Just don't do it. Just deny the lust of the flesh. Now, first of all, even though we may forsake the world and its allurements, forsake the devil, 
still things are going to come along. You need to understand that. You're still going to, going to face problems. You're still going to face temptation. We may, we may live our life forsaking all these things and, and, and trying as hard as we might to, to walk, a, a, walk in the Spirit, but we're still going to have those times when some things are going to get through and some temptations are going to penetrate because we're always going to have lulls in our, in our discipline. Something's going to happen and we're going to lose focus and, and, and we're going we're to become angry or we're going to become disappointed and, and we're all of a sudden going to find ourselves facing temptation. Well, at those times, we need to forbid them. We need to just say no. Just don't do it. Refuse. You know what? Just set a mindset today. I am not going to give in to temptation. I'm not going to do it. Now, to be successful at that is going to mean you're going to have to discipline yourself in many areas. You're going to have to, you can't can't put sin before you. That's why Paul said, I will set no wicked thing, uh, or David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Paul said, abstain from all appearance of evil. Uh, We got to be disciplined not not to open doors to allow temptation to come in we need to close up all those doors that's where the forsaking comes in close up and seal up all those doors if something if something gives you trouble get rid of it some people can't control the television set you know what i would tell you to do turn off your cable and throw your television set in the garbage can start reading books whoa that's a radical idea get rid of the thing that tempts you don't keep it there So forbid. Just say no. Just don't do it. But then a third thing we need to do is follow. Follow. But now don't follow the flesh. Don't follow sin. Follow the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. What is... What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, meekness, temperance, gentleness, goodness, faith. Huh? Paul said whatsoever things are, he taught us what things to think on, whatsoever things are, are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are of good report. Huh? So we follow after righteousness. We follow after the things that are good and right. Now, let me just say, the Holy Spirit never leads you astray. If you end up in error, it's not because you weren't led there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not lead us to error. So if you, if you find yourself in error, you weren't led there by the Holy Spirit. You were led there by your flesh. And the flesh can be very deceptive. And the flesh can even convince you that it's the will of the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to know the Word of God. That's why we pray. That's why we we study. And that's why we seek the face of God. Because God will always reveal truth to us. It's, It's those people who think they know enough to get by without the word of God. Those are the ones that become deceived and fall. When will you ever stop being a student of the word of God? 
I, 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 don't, I don't think, I think even when we get to heaven, we won't. Because we'll never be as, as wise as God. We'll never know everything, will we? We may understand more then because we see his face, but we'll never know more than God. So we will forever be students of God. So the one thing we'll be judged in is how we control our flesh. So let us go on and let us take the things that the Spirit has taught us and let's control this flesh and uh, prepare for that day when we'll stand before Christ and he'll be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All right, folks, thanks for being here this morning and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.